Recording, 27th of April, 2015. This is The Addendum. Welcome back after a well-deserved hiatus. This is episode 126, and as you may or may not remember, my name is Eric. If you have any comments or questions, send those to addendumpodcast at gmail or addendumpodcast on Twitter. All original stories written for and presented on the addendum can be downloaded as PDF files from KeithEricBrandt.com. The Women on the Boat by Keith Eric Brandt The pier on the west end of Edgel had fallen into disuse over the past quarter century. The only boat that regularly utilized the mostly abandoned marina was a medium-class cutter named the Raft. Every two to three months, the dark hull of the imposing vessel emerged over the horizon, casting off a turmoil of flotsam and jetsam as it cut through the foamy waves. Its arrival was never grand or noteworthy. However, in the milky gray of late afternoon, children walking home from school would linger on a bluff overlooking the harbor, captivated by the commotion on the waterfront. The deck of the wayward craft rippled with activity as the crew methodically worked in a fury of ordered bedlam. When the initial mooring was complete, the chaos immediately came to a halt. Then, after a brief pause, the crew erupted into a meticulous and fevered choreography as they hurriedly tied down equipment and secured cargo before going ashore. The men were indistinguishable from one another as they labored in the damp air of late fall. They wore black woolen peacoats and fisherman caps that were covered with condensation that beaded on the rough fabric. All of the men were large and lean with broad shoulders and tremendous arms. Their wind-worn faces were thickly bearded and covered with an oily grime. Piercing flecks of sapphire peered out intently from the deep wrinkles that surrounded their eyes. It was not until all of the work was complete that the crew debarked from the boat and for the first time in months set foot on land. The men rented rooms at the Red Wheat Inn, which was locally known to be as old as the town itself. The clerk was an elderly man with gray cotton-like tufts of hair around his ears. An overpowering odor of coir rope and salt water filled the air as the men entered the lobby. The clerk flared his nostrils and ran his fingers over his nose and then smiled in a weak and weary way. He nodded at each of them, dithering as little as possible as he took their money and gave them their keys. It was not until all of them had paid and been assigned a bed that the group of men politely grunted and then went to find their rooms. Their heavy footfalls were felt throughout the building as they made their way through the hallways. They could be heard howling ecstatically as they bathed and showered after months of being on strict water ration. Later that evening, they emerged from their quarters with their hair neatly combed, their beards trimmed, and with the pungent perfume of flowery soap blooming from their pores. They found a bistro named the Iron Pyre, where they consumed the entirety of a braised ox over a bushel of potatoes, gallons of wine, and all of the breads that were on hand. As the men ate, they conversed in low baritone rumbles that would periodically erupt into hearty waves of raucous laughter. However, they immediately quelled their gaiety and fell into an almost embarrassed silence whenever their beverages were refilled and new platters of food were brought into the room. Maintenance on the raft began the following morning, well before the sun had risen. Despite the early hours, the entire crew appeared well rested. The men crawled up and down the sides of the boat on ropes and wooden scaffolds, like meticulous spiders, diligently cleaning and repairing the hull. 
winches were oiled, frayed cordages were replaced, cargo nets were mended, and support cables were tightened. In the afternoon, the crew visited nearly all of the merchants in town, purchasing sundries and other provisions in preparation for the imminent months of isolation that lay ahead. Vina, a sprightly gray-haired matron who ran a family-owned corner market near the pier, later said that all of the men from the raft were curt and gruff, but polite nonetheless. She went on saying that they had paid cash and they had thanked her before they had left. Vina told anyone who would listen that the men were hard-working, just like pioneers of centuries past, except these wayward souls claimed the open waters as their home, and that the remote conditions did not lend themselves to common pleasantries most people take for granted. The men functioned in isolation as a collective unit for months on end, and there was no need to be polite or even to speak at all as long as work was completed and the boat remained operational. At the end of the day, the crew returned to their rented rooms where they cleaned and bathed themselves just as they had when they first arrived. They returned to the iron pyre and ate a meal identical to the one they had gorged upon the night before. However, on this occasion, they did not grumble as much and were noticeably more subdued. They efficiently cleaned their plates and emptied the carafes of wine. Beneath everything they did was an anxiousness that stemmed from the finite amount of time that remained before they would be surrounded by leagues of water once again. After the meal, outside the bistro, in the chill of the evening air, the crew could feel the hoary pull of the tides. From the safety of land, the waters appeared benign and even tranquil, but offshore, in the vast and unforgiving endless emptiness, crest-capped waves rolled with an unending fury. The men could feel it coursing through their veins. No matter where they traveled or how far ashore they might stray, the ocean kept a firm grip upon them. They would return. They had to. There was never any doubt. However, they refused to submit to its unremitting call until the last of their furloughed time was spent. The remaining hours were whiled away in a dimly lit tavern that catered to a handful of regulars with empty eyes and ashen complexions. All of their dreams and ambitions had faded, and what remained of their vitality was quietly draining away. As the crewmen began filling the hall, the bartender urged the barmaid to go recruit her sisters and all of her friends to help serve drinks and to help entertain the unexpected crowd. The men of the wrath were patient and generous with their collective fortune, buying bottles of wine and passing them around, insisting that everybody must partake in their festivity. In a short enough time, the barmaid returned with more than a dozen girls, all less than modestly dressed in overstuffed blouses. The bartender was paid to sing, and in his craggy voice, he pelted out hymns and shanties, and the crew clapped and cheered, crooning along with the straining and atonal songs. The men grew louder throughout the night, shouting over each other, reminding everyone about their imminent departure and the unforgiving waters that awaited them. Round after round, the men imbibed as if the celebration would be their last. The barmaids danced with the men, apparently charmed by their mercurial transformation. The women cooed and blushed dark shades of red while in the mighty hold of calloused hands. The men bellowed jovially, lifting the women over their heads, hoisting them upward, and then gently resting them back upon the weather-worn floor. The barmaids squealed and shrieked as the men twirled them back and forth around the room. 
The heady tumult continued through the long hours of night until the bartender could only whisper the last of his ditties. The women drooped limply in the overpowering arms of their dance partners who continued to gently rock them from side to side. Red embers slowly bled across the pre-dawn sky. A deep orange glow briefly radiated an intense and fleeting warmth before dissipating into the pallid blue of morning. Schoolchildren walking past the docks witnessed the crewmen returning to the harbor. The men appeared bleary and haggard. The barmaids were draped over their shoulders. The last wails of cacophony from the night before had dwindled to tenuous exhaustion. Despite this, none of their movements were unsure or unsteady. The women were laying upon the deck as the men readied the raft for departure. The women tried to sit up, wearily waving their arms and calling out defiantly to everyone on the shore as if these were the last mutinous cries rebelling against constraint and order. As the boat made its way out of the harbor and slowly receded into the distance, the last shrill trails of the women and laughter could be heard echoing across the bay. The boat would not return for months. The women had to have known this fact. It was not unreasonable to believe that the women had left with the mariners, knowing that after a couple of months they would be back in Edgel. Or perhaps they capitalized upon the offer, realizing it as a means of finding another port in another coastal town that would provide a different venue and might hold better opportunities. Regardless of what reasons there may have been, the women who had waved and shouted from the deck of the boat on that particular morning were never heard from or seen again. An additional oddity is that the raft did not return to Edgel for over a decade. When it did, nearly the entire crew had been replaced by younger counterparts. When any of them were questioned about the incident and the whereabouts of the missing women, the men either said that they were not employed on the ship at that time, or that they had traveled to too many places and met too many people to recall the specifics of any one particular day from so many years ago. The children who were on the bluff overlooking the bay during the hazy hours of the morning in question were now young men and women, some of whom now had children of their own. Over the years, their recollections of the incident retained a fair amount of certainty and had remained consistent. Every time any one of them were asked about what they had seen, they said and continue to say that it seemed the men were doing all of the laughing and it was the women who were doing all of the screaming. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for downloading and listening. Until next time, this has been... The Addendum.